put on the uniform and found myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Always on time. Hello, hello. This is Bridget McCoy with Women Veterans Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. I want to thank you for coming and listening to us another week. We have a wonderful guest. As usual, we have such great, awesome guests with such juicy lives. We'd like to explore their military experience, their transition, and their philanthropy work in the community and any other um, projects and things that they're doing. And so today I want to um, introduce my listening audience to Sydney Covington. She is a woman veteran. Um, who's done a plethora of things in the community, which you'll get to hear. We're going to be talking with her today about her military service, her transition, and, again, the things that she's done post-military related to the community's work and things of that nature. So we want to welcome Sydney. Thank you so much, Sydney, for being willing to come on. I know you've got a lot going on, and it's the summer, and everybody's on vacation and everything, but you agreed to do this, so I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Bridget. I'm looking. For, I'm like really excited to have this opportunity to be able to share my story, and to potentially be a a resource or a reference for someone in the near future. Absolutely. So let's get into it. I mean, you went into the military. Tell us a little bit about the branch of service, the job that you did, and where you served. So I'm, um, I joined the Army in 2011. I served as a, um, as a medic, and um, I, de- I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and then I deployed in support of Operation Enduring Freedom to Afghanistan in 2012 to 2013. Wow. And so for a, a woman, I know in the military they call us females, but we don't do that here. Yeah. Uh, but as a woman serving during that time, what was that? Like, if it's not, you know, you don't have to give me any gruesome details, but just in general, you know, what it was like day to day. I think as a medic, um, my experience may be a little different because the medical field often has more women in um, in the field. And so uh, I think when I had the most challenge was when I was trying to, like, prove that I was just as capable as my male counterparts, that I could be able to hold my own, be able to compete just as much as they could. I know, like, when, especially when it comes to PT, I had one of, one of my, my, he was, like, one of my favorite NCICs, and I just remember I got my run time down to 13.36, and he was like, well, until you can run 12 miles, uh, you're two miles in 12, um, in 12 minutes in Iraq, in Iraq's um, hot sun or whatever, then we could talk about how much you've progressed. And um, I think wow. it was one of those moments where I realized, like, as a woman veteran, especially a minority woman veteran, like, you, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're, you're never good enough. And um, I remember when I was making the decision to stay in or get out, and still my favorite NCIC told me that it would be easier for me to get promoted because I was um, a black female soldier. And it threw me off because, mm. um, because like, for him to even notice me, I had to do – I had to be 20 times better than my peers. And mm. 
like I remember like before he didn't really pay much attention to me but then when I started getting 300s on my PT score when I was basically the soldier that stood out that's when I said like he started paying more attention to me and um like so to me it was just interesting to hear him say that when I had to do a lot more for him to even acknowledge how like my capabilities and my potential to be a great soldier and it didn't it listening to you talk about it it from my perspective, and that may not have been yours, uh, it just felt like from a leadership point of view, he was not encouraging you. It was more of like negative encouragement. It wasn't like an attaboy, you know, at a girl, hey, you did a great job. Um, you know, let's, you know, let's move the benchmark and, and see if you can make this next step. It's more like, ah, you know, that's not a big deal. So when you do this and this and that, then, then we'll talk about how good you are. I, I just, it's, it's, I I heard what you said, but I just was like, wow, uh, uh, you know, someone with your capabilities, um, leadership could have easily assisted you in moving forward through, you know, positive reinforcement and things like that. But it just seemed like there, that type of support wasn't made available. I, maybe I'm missing something, but you, you tell me what's your perspective on that because you, you can reflect back on it. Do you feel that that was a positive uh, or, um, or encouraging? Um, I don't I don't know if I felt like it was positive um, or negative. I felt like it was – I don't – I felt like it was one of those things where um, I felt like my hard work was would not be the re- like I almost felt like he just dis- I was being discredited for my hard work and it was mm-hmm. more like oh because you're um a black woman that's why you're going to get promoted it isn't because mm-hmm. as a soldier for someone who first came to the unit you were running 17 minute two miles now you're at 13 minute two miles and mm-hmm. um before you used to only be able to do 30 40 push-ups now you can do over 70 and so it was um it was one of those things where it's like it it wasn't one of those things where I felt as though my like my hard work, my motivation, and my dedication to improving myself. Um, it almost felt like that was dismissed. Like um, when I was in my unit, I was one of the only. There was like me and like two or three other people who had finished our um, our SSD, um, the structured self development courses. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those things where it's like it's not because I have excelled. And being prepared to, for my own development, I have, like, it was one of those things where I felt as though I was on top of my, um, my SSD requirements. I made sure I was still in school while in the military. So oh, instead wow. of it, and so instead of it being where it was like, you have, not only are you excelling in the military, you're continuously, you're still, you're still seeking a higher education. You're doing self-development courses so that when you are ready to be a leader, you have, you have some type of skill sets or you're learning skills so that you can be a better leader. It's because you're a black woman that you're going to get promoted. And so mm-hmm. I felt like that was kind of discouraging because it was just like, so all my hard work means nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had that experience. I have heard some of the same um, incidences from other women veterans um, from all different eras of service time. Uh, and so it's not new to me specifically how, you know, but in my, you know, in my own Pollyanna kind of feeling like, oh, it's getting better. Women aren't having challenges, <laughs> and then to hear um, someone as recent as yourself getting, having got out and um, <clears throat> to have had that experience while you serve, it's like, ah, 
how we're getting better in some instances, but some things are still the same. And so just as, just as a curious question, if, you know, cause I really want you to tell the listeners about your, you know, academics because you did mention that and all of the things that you've accomplished. But just as a question, um, do you think that now that you've, um, attained the type of educational, uh, background that you have, that you would go back in, um, and, and uh, as an officer or a warrant officer, would, would that even be something that you would consider as, as a, as a reservist or an, a national guard or anything of that nature? Right now, um, I think I have decided that I'm not going to go back in just because um, physically I'm out of shape. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, compared to who I was when I was in the military. And um, I know, like, now I feel like I've started getting back into working out and I've been slightly embarrassed to be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I used to be, like, in better shape and here I am now. Um did I question it when I first got out? I think I, I kind of, like, considered doing a green to gold program. I considered doing mm-hmm. ROTC. And then every time, like, every opportunity that was presented to kind of go back in the military, it kind of fell through. Or it was, like, something along those lines where it was, like, it just – something just wasn't right at that time. And so for me right now, I am not going to consider the route of going officer. <laughs> <laughs> However, okay. I, I haven't taken that off the table completely yet because I think I have until I'm 32. So I have about four years before my before my um, clock ends. But um, I think I'm going to explore. I'm going to continue to explore opportunities that are available to me as a civilian and see where that takes me. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your academic experience because you started your academics while you were in the military, and that is not an easy feat. <laughs> you're deployed and all these other things are happening. So tell us a little bit about that. So um, I actually joined the military in 2011 because um, I moved away from home to try to to, to get my degree. My, I wanted to earn my bachelor's degree, and Atlanta was just my dream city. I was like, I want to move to Atlanta so I can go to school there and I can experience Atlanta life. And what I didn't know, because I'm being one of the first few people in my family to want to even go to college, well, to go to college and then also to want to move out of the state to do it, I didn't realize how expensive school was, especially for out-of-state students. And so I had, um, I was going to a community college where it was $5,000 a semester for out-of-state students, and the average mm. tuition for in-state students was less than 1000 so I was, so I was like, wait, what? Like I was paying almost essentially like five times more than the average in-state student. So I think after my first year of tackling like tacking on ten thousand dollars worth of student loans for a community college, I um, reached out to a recruiter. No, a recruiter actually reached out to me and was like, well, are you interested in getting free education? I'm like, of course. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so then um, they kind of told me about how there was TA. Um, I still qualify for the Pell Grant because in the military you still don't make more than what you can qualify for. And then I didn't have mm-hmm. to use my parents because I'm considered independent because I'll be in the military. And so I took the military route. And when I was in the military, right after I left AIT, I enrolled in classes that December to um, start to continue to attain my bachelor's degree. In my entire time when I was in the military, I I was fortunate because some people don't have the same story as me, not because they didn't want to, but because you have to get your commander's approval to be able to use your education benefits. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, I was fortunate that I, I had a command a command team that allowed me to do that because I know people who were in the field like every other month. So I couldn't imagine if I was trying to take classes and was in the field every other month. And um, there were some people whose leadership was opposed to education because they felt like it took away from soldiers' ability to be prepared and ready whenever they needed to be. I don't know. I, that's confusing. It was confusing to yeah. me because yeah. one of the things you need to get promoted is, like, yeah, education. education. <laughs> so yes. I'm like, are you hindering your, your soldiers' ability to, like, to get promoted? Like, this is – these are um, promotion points. Yes. So um, – so I was fortunate and lucky, and so I didn't want to lose sight of my goal, which was to attain my bachelor's degree. So when I was in, I made sure I continued to take classes. It sucked a little bit because living in the barracks is like living in the dorms, and so, like, I'm living this barracks life but also having to go to school, so it sucked a little bit because, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were a couple of times when I would wake up the morning after hanging out with my with my fellow soldiers, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I have a 10-page paper due by 8 p.m. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So getting my life together, um, it happened a couple of times. Even when I was deployed, I continued to go to school and actually encouraged my fellow peers to enroll into school because – I just saw the importance of it. I was like, you know, these are easy promotion points. Like, why not do it? And then what if you decide not to stay in the military? Why not uh, Why not utilize a benefit? Like, you could go to school for free. Like, I'm, a lot of people want that. And here, you, here a lot of soldiers have it. And um, either they underutilize, they don't utilize it, underutilize it, or they don't have access to it for their command. And then I got out in 2014 because I wanted to get my, master's, my bachelor's in social work. And getting your bachelor's in social work is impossible when you're active duty because you have to do an internship. So I – it's not impossible, but I wasn't going to put in the, that mind of, like, dedication to be active duty and then having a full-time – I mean, a part-time internship where my weekends were dedicated to my internship and then one of the nights. It was just too much because what if I had to go to the field or something like that? I just wanted to be able to have the freedom to finish my degree. And so I went to Georgia State – um, I com- I finished and then I went. I took a year off and then I just graduated from NYU with my master's degree in social work. Awesome! Yes! Congratulations! Oh my gosh! So excited! So excited! When I saw that, I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Because we met when you were at Georgia State University, and and to be honest. Um, your um, insight about the university was why it was on my top list of places to go, even though I got offered other opportunities at other universities. Your experience and your connecting me with the university was uh, the main reason why it was on the number one on my list. So you don't always know how your uh, how your uh, work or the things that you do is impacting others, uh, but you just you do it anyway. Um, so I just want to tell you that because I I don't think I've ever shared that with you. I may have hinted at it, but um, to directly tell you that that that's that's why I'm at Georgia State. And and the wonderful thing about it at the graduate level, being able to get a, a, a GRA position and um, and then know about that and then reach out to other women veterans and say here go over there <laughs> and apply for this GRA position because <clears throat> you know. I didn't realize that as a National Guard or reservist, you don't get the same, you know, dollar amounts 
to go to school. And so I was thinking, oh, you a post nine eleven veteran, and then they're like, no, that doesn't. We don't fall under that. We fall under this. And I'm like, what? So all of those things can create like these really horrible barriers to staying in or being focused enough to be able to get your grade, you know, get the grades that you need to go on to the next level. And so um, it's, just, it's just important that you know that and do the listeners know that because I think sometimes people think, oh, that um, mentoring and influencing is one way. Like everybody older influences everybody younger. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not true. Um, and so a lot of your energy, your vivaciousness is very contagious. And I, I saw your impact on other women veterans, and I'm telling you, because I can tell you that out of my own mouth. So. Thank you. So, yes. <laughs> so, let's talk a little bit about, you're welcome, let's talk a little bit about the fact that, um, going back to that, when I met you, you were this, uh, Student Veterans of America, Georgia State University. Um, were you the president or the? Yes. Co-president? Okay. So, tell us a little bit about that as well. So serving, um, as I actually started off as the event, I wanted to be event coordinator. I love planning events. Um, that's something I really take. Um, I feel like that's something I would love to do part time, just be, like as a like something I like to do for fun, because it's the whole putting things together and then seeing them like actually happen. It's like wow, I did this. I'm I was the reason this actually happened. Um, but then as being the event coordinator, I realized like there was a lot of gaps and things that could have been fixed. And so then I kind of worked to become the president. And as president, one of the things I wanted to change was the narrative around being um, what veterans are and what we look like. Because oftentimes I would get asked, you're a veteran? You don't look like a veteran. Or Uh I was often called the spouse of the dependent. And I'm like, I know, service member, the veteran right here, that's Uh me. Um, And so... Um, one of my major goals was, like, to change that narrative, like, you know, white men are not the only people who can serve. Um, you know, there's an array of people who serve, women serve, we're all not just spouses. I know that's normally the narrative. You normally see a male veteran and his spouse, but there are also women veterans and their spouses. And so um, I w- that was something that was really important. I wanted to change the way that looked. And, um, and I also wanted to – and as a woman veteran, I noticed also that – a lot of there were women veterans who did not self-disclose, and the women veterans who still choose not to self-disclose because of their experience in the military. And I wanted to let them know that after they're out the military, veteran spaces should be a safe space for the veteran and for them to be able to share their story without feeling like they're going to be scrutinized or have their service um, belittled or degraded because just because they weren't in combat jobs. And so um, that was one of my major goals as a as serving as president was to be able to diversify the veteran population and to also make it where veterans knew like this space is a safe space. So even if your time in the military was not the best, you have a community that still understands the culture that you were in and is here to help you heal and be able to navigate being um, in the civilian sector again. That's phenomenal. And I believe we met initially through an event that I did, but then there was some other events that, you hosted and we were invited and we invited others and it just, you know, you continued with that, um, you know, holding that, that space for that mission, um, that call to action um, for others, but you held that space the whole time you were at Georgia State and even after you left and um, uh, went, went back, 
went to New York, back to New York for um, your graduate degree. Uh, did you, you know, being in cause Georgia is a little bit different. <laughs> Uh, did you see a difference in being wanting to hold that space and bring that mission forward? Did you? What were the the, the differences in um, being in Georgia and being in New York? You're listening to WVSJ, the Women Veteran Social Justice Network. Oh, so I think being in New York, what the one of the biggest things is that um, New York is a more liberal, democratic state. And whereas Georgia is more conservative Republican state. And so you have this difference of people's perception of veterans. So like in mm-hmm. more conservative Republican states, everyone's like, yes, we love veterans. And so the, the support and emphasis of supporting veterans is more like, yes, we want to do this because we love veterans. Whereas being at NYU, it's more like, oh, you're a veteran. They automatically associate veterans with military. And, um, it's almost as if in like more liberal states, it's one of those things where it's like all veterans think the same. They associate with the views and they align themselves with the military, which is not true. And so, um, I found it very important to change that narrative because there would be students who walk past who were, um, who were not military or veteran or dependents who'd walk past the military alliance and then they would make these off like off the wall comments and not realize like the woman that's walking past them is actually getting ready to walk into this office who's a veteran and the comment mm-hmm. they said is actually something they're talking they're saying about me and um and so it was one of those things where instead of like being upset because it rightfully so that's like veterans are it, it's rightfully so to be upset when people make those comments i was like i want to educate people and show them that better like being a veteran is not necessary we don't represent like we are representing we are representing the military when we're in the military but when we're out we are now our own individual people we have our own experiences so one of the first things i did um when i was the event coordinator i hosted an lgbt LGBTQ plus discussion panel in October. And mm-hmm. um, we had, I think, over 50 students show up. And it enlightened a lot of people to understand, like, just because we're in the military, it's not me. We don't share the same struggle. Because I had people who were serving under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. All oh, the my way gosh, until, yes. Yep. And all the way, we had people who were transgender and their experience of being in the military, um, experiencing the when um, President Obama um, undid the ban and then the whole struggles of it being – the current ban being put back in place. And so, like, mm-hmm. it actually was able to open people's perception, kind of realize, like, wow, veterans still are humans and they still have their own experiences. And then we also did another Women's Veterans Discussion Panel to kind of highlight women that served so that more people could stop assuming that the only people who <laughs> served were men. Mm-hmm. And so... um <laughs> And so that was, and so that also got a really nice turnout as well. And people like, and it kind of helped people to understand like, women do experience combat. Like we're not just, just because we're not in combat jobs, we also still have that, that ability to experience combat. And then also military sexual trauma came up and, um, the, and how their, like people's experience with that, um, and how that shaped their experience. And so I feel like it has helped enlighten the school's population, and then um, I've attended the student government meetings, and I kind of said, you know, we always are talking about diversity, but we forget about a population, um, which is the military veteran population, and I'm like, how are we going to be more inclusive of this population in our stories so then that everyone doesn't assume that all veterans align with what the military is doing? And because there's a lot of veterans I know who are against the um 
the transgender ban to include myself, and I don't believe the don't ask, don't tell should have been implemented in the first place. So um, this is so these are things that I want the school to know is that when you see veterans, you don't have to think of the you don't have to think of the military, and that we are a very diverse population. Absolutely, that's some really solid work. I I really appreciate that you have um, continued to you know add that to you know add continue to add work like that to your um, to your experience. Uh, did you realize that when you were um, doing those things, that the the level of um, influence that you were enacting in that space? Um, I don't think I did. Like at the time, it was just. I was just like, I want to put this on because I want people to know. And I didn't, like, understand the influence and the impact And um, until, like, I would talk to people afterwards. Like, one of my really good friends, they are now um, doing a lot of work with Mission Continues to bring more attention to LGBTQ service members. And um, just giving people space to speak, like, we had one – we have one student who is always interested in joining the military, but she was so scared to come and, like, meet and talk to us because she felt like she would just be rejected because she was in military. And then hosting that panel, she was just like – like, it was one of those things where she was like, I didn't realize how human you guys were. And it's like, yeah, we're human. <laughs> <laughs> we don't become robots just because we joined the military. Um, so um, in those small instances, I realized how important it is and um, – and, and and how influential it can be because, you know, our, our stories are powerful, and I believe everyone has the right to share their story, especially service members, because oftentimes our stories are told for us, and we don't really get much of a voice. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm just saying yes, 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 because I'm <laughs> big on the first-person narrative, and I know people get so tired of me saying that, but, you know, from day one, I'm like, uh... Thank you for wanting to tell my my what ex, my experiences are. I'd love it if, when you report this, you allow my first person narrative to stand taller than your commentary about my first person narrative. And so I've been fortunate in that because I've if I have not been able to articulate anything else in the ten years I've been doing that, I've been able to do. <clears throat> and so we, you know, working with the media and the news and things like that. It's just been very important to make sure that when they ask me, can we bring a, can they do a story on us, that as long as the primary, you know, conversation is the woman veteran's narrative, her speaking from her mouth, talking about whatever it is her experiences were. If you're going to create something from that, no. <laughs> it has to be her narrative. And so even, I think it's the, the article that was done on the creative loafing, they, because that was my, conversation he basically took my whole the whole interview and he just wrote that and that was what was you know put there but I was very pleased because I had heard from other women who said oh my god I interviewed and and they completely messed up what I said that's not what I said they changed what I said they took some other things out they left out the important parts they put in stuff that wasn't important and so you know I believe that the reporters who work with veterans over a long period of time now have more cultural competence and they understand the nuance to how they have to report, you know, our, our stories, our narratives. Um, but, but, you know, from a journalistic point of view, we still have to educate from the, you know, political part. We have to educate 
you know, from the academic part, we have to educate. And that means we have to be in every one of those sectors. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, for me, you know, having the, the um, you know, ambassadors and telling people you're not a volunteer, you're a philanthropist, like, that's, like, let's change this whole narrative because it's, like, women are always doing work. Like, you, you've been doing this the whole time. And so it's, like, we're not volunteers. We're philanthropists. We give our time, our talent, you know, our intellect, and then we're giving our money. And then we're foregoing, you know, uh, appropriate remuneration for our, the work that we've done because we believe in the cause. And so it's always very interesting to me to uh, see that um, in someone at your stature in your professional career, uh, you know, going from your, your educational career to undergrad to graduate, do you think that you will eventually go back to school to uh, gain your Ph.D.? Um, my family, <laughs> my family wants me to. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I only have four months and twenty six days left of my post ten eleven. Yes. So if, if I go back to school, um, I'm a fond believer in free education. Um, <laughs> so I don't have enough time to go back um, in terms of my military benefits. But if I were to go back to school, maybe that would be me questioning. Maybe I should do an ROTC program to do that. I don't foresee myself getting a PhD. I do um, see myself getting a second master's, like I consider getting a master's in public administration, a mass, um, in, no, master's in public health or a master's in um, bu- yeah, business administration. So those are like the two I've considered because um, I feel like they complement social work um, very because like I want to do more macro level social work and so I feel like mm. those would enhance my um, abilities to do that. Yeah, or a certificate in public policy because that's mm-hmm. another um, you might not have to go to get a, an actual master's degree, but they there is availability to do a um, uh, pub, like public health or um, policy or things like that, and they have a, a um, postgraduate certificates to complement the work that you've already done. So that may be something that you could squeeze into those four months. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of there are a lot of programs out there for women of your stature to go to school to get a PhD because they're actually, you know, um, for lack of a better term, recruiting uh, because, we, you know, we have a lot of women who have their, their master's, um, but at some point we kind of trail off with PhD level work. Well, that is, wow, that's really, really, really great information and just the things that you talked about. I, I have so many, many questions, but I'm going to do a station break and, and then come back with some, let's talk about what your transition from the military was like. So this is Bridget McCoy from Women Veteran Social Justice Network. Thank you for listening. We want to thank all of our sponsors for, you know, making sure that we have um, our airtime. We thank you to Protect Our Defenders for uh, sponsoring our gala this year. We want to also thank the Jimmy Carter Presidential Museum for sponsoring us this year and also ARP Georgia for sponsoring us for this year. So we're so honored by our sponsors. Um, we're honored by our donors. And we're definitely honored by our listeners. You can find us on Facebook.com backslash the number four WVSJ. You can also find us on Instagram at WVSJ Network and Twitter at WVSJ Network. Now, the great thing about what's happened with WVSJ is we're on multiple podcast channels. So if you're not listening on Heroes Media Group, that's okay. 
want you to go over, pop over to our Facebook page and go into our recommendations and just let us know that where you, where you heard our show at. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to talking with Sydney Covington. So Sydney, tell me a little bit about how you transitioned from the military because you did, you started talking about it, but I wanted to get all your educational experiences out of the way. Right. I want to know how that was for you. It was a little bit of a struggle. Um, something I didn't know, um, something I didn't know was that you do adjust to military life a lot. Um, and it, it's become your norm. Like, it's almost like having a second set of parents with a little bit more freedom. Because, like, something that's <laughs> – it's, it's true. Like It is true, know, though. I know what you're saying. <laughs> It's because, like, every time, like, uh, you have a doctor's appointment, your first line needs to know. Um, if you're going to, like, if you're going more than 250 miles outside of the, the radius of your, your post or your base, you have to let somebody know. You have to get permission. Um, going out the country, you have to get permission. And so, like, you're getting told what to do, where to be there, and what to wear, essentially every single day, um, besides the days that you're off. And so when I finally got out of the military, my first 30 days felt like leave. Like I didn't, like actually, I didn't process it. Yes. It was like, yes. oh, I'm, I'm just on leave, but in school. And then after like that leave period kind of went away, I was like, no, I'm actually out of the military. And I actually have control over my life now. Like I get to decide mm. what I want to do. I get to decide what to wear. I get to decide if I want to work out or not. I don't have to work out because who, why do I have to work out? I don't have to. My job does not require this of me anymore. And so refining that purpose I think was lost because in the military you know your purpose is to accomplish the mission and the mission is like you know your you know your mission and um when you're in your civilian life or your veteran life because I'm I'm trying to learn how to stop saying civilian because I don't I think once you're in the military you're never really a civilian again you're a veteran and once you're now a veteran it's kind of learning how to navigate the culture that you you were a part of and learning how to integrate into a new culture, but in still holding on to bits of your culture that were important to you. And so I had, I struggled a bit. And so then that's why finding the Student Veteran Association was very important to me. Um, that was like one of the first steps for me being able to connect with people again. Cause I remember I was in class and I said eight up and somebody was like, what does that mean? And I was like, what do you mean? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and tell our listeners what that means. Cause some of them won't know. ADOP is essentially when you're kind of like messed up and you need to fix yourself. So like, or something. Like, <laughs> it means you're not squared away. Not being squared away means you don't have your stuff together. So, um, <laughs> and so when I said that and someone couldn't quite understand what I was saying, I was just like, wow, you know, I've lost this sense of community. I'm, like my family and friends, like I would say things to them, but when I was in the military, it didn't really dawn on me because when I'd go back to my when I would go back to my post, my home, which was my military base at Fort Hood, everyone knew what I was saying. I didn't have to explain myself. And so um, when I had – actually, the reason why I found somebody was I was wearing a shirt with my first cab unit on my chest. And someone was like, were you in the military? And I was like, yes. And it was like – it was one of those rare moments. I was like, you know what that is? I felt so relieved. I was like, someone understands <laughs> me. Like, you speak right. my language. And um, I felt like I found, like, a sense of, like, community again. Like, I found, like, I was like, yes, I found my tribe. I found my people. Thank goodness. And um, I think that's what's really important for veterans is that when you get out, I don't think you should cut all ties with the military or, like, find your veteran group that's 
going to help you transition. Like, I don't think you should be so military where you only associate with veterans, but I do think you should have that veteran community that helps you kind of, you know, be able to have people who understand you when you talk military, but then also have your group of people who are like, you know what, I am in the civilian sector now. I have friends that do things that are not military-related or remind me of being in the military. I have other hobbies. And I so I think both are important. Because I know mm. I've met people who have only, like, they, their only group of people they hang out with are people who are veterans. And I don't mm. think that's fully healthy either. And I think you should have a mix. You should be able to hang out with people who aren't veterans that have similar likes that you have, but then also have your veteran community so that you can relate to somebody. So for me, my transition, I struggled at first because I did not know how important it was going to be. That one-week training you have when you get out the military is not enough. Um, I didn't know how to navigate the VA. Atlanta's VA has a very long wait time. It took me three months to get my first doctor's appointment. Had I known that, I would have scheduled it three months before getting out the military. So then when I made mm. it to Atlanta, I would have had my first appointment. So mm. I feel like connecting to veteran service organizations before getting out the military is actually really important for veterans because I feel like that's what's going to help. Um, knowing what resources are available to you, knowing how to use your post-911 GI Bill, um, knowing what schools to avoid. I had a couple of friends who went to those for-profit schools that took advantage of mm. veterans. And so knowing mm-hmm. how to know what schools are good for you and which ones are not, and then being able to connect to organizations that can teach you how to write a proper resume, I think that's really important because a week doesn't teach you how to write a civilian resume because we talk in, like, a military jargon is a real thing, and most people <laughs> write their resumes yes. in that language. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm out 20 years, and I still mm-hmm. occasionally will say things, and people are like, what? You know, so yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really important to find your community and then also be able to find other communities that you can connect with that still – help you transition and being in the civilian world. That is really good advice. Do you have any specific advice for women who are um, thinking about leaving the military, women who've already transitioned, um, Either both, both of those groups of women? Well, um, I find it, like for me, I, I think I'm really fortunate. I go to the VA for a lot of my health care. Um, I actually love my VA doctor. She's amazing. And I, I think that's kind of rare. I don't know if I'm rare or if I, or if I'm, I don't know. But I do know, like I say, find your health care provider that works for you. And I also recommend um, finding women veterans to connect with because I can't just hang out with male veterans. I just can't. Like, um, I love them, but I have some male veterans. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes, I know what you're saying, though. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> but let the let the listeners know, though. Because, <laughs> like, one of my one of my veteran friends, he's a Marine, and um, I'm not saying that all male Marines think this way, but I have one who is, who does think this way. When we were hosting the panels for LGBTQ and women veterans, he was like, well, when, when are we going to hold the male veteran panel? And I was like, I'm sorry? <laughs> and he was like, when are we going to hold the male veteran panel? And I was like, well, I was like, I'm not against it, but if you want to put it together, I have no problem helping you plan it. But I was like, the purpose of this is to show how diverse the military is because I was like, I feel like the male narrative is always being told. Most movies are about male veterans. Most um, 
most discussions, most things that you'll go to, most advertisements have male veterans on it. The purpose of this is just to expose the population to a narrative they've never heard before. And so um, it just it threw me off because I was just like, what? And he's like, well, I don't understand why that's important. And then he was the same person who told me <laughs> that he didn't understand why people without, like, a infantry MOS, how could they have PTSD? And I was like, what? I was like, you've deployed. How do you not understand? And um, so, like, I I feel like I find it very important just to connect with people where you don't have to feel like you have to defend your service. Because that's not true with all male veterans, but um, I feel like in some spaces you do have to defend your service, and I feel like it's very important to be around other women veterans who get it, like where you don't have to explain certain things or, um, like, like especially when it comes to, like, MST, knowing people who can be, who can be empathetic to be able to be supportive and not question, well, what did you do? And it's one of those things where I feel like it's very important to be around people who can understand your experience in the military and someone not degrade what you felt with what you experienced when you were in the military. Because a lot of, I think, male veterans don't understand because they don't, because they don't think those things exist because they're like, oh, but we all wear green. We all bleed green. And it's like, that's not true, though. We do get treated differently. And it's and I think it's important to be able to have people who understand that you did have those experiences without having to explain yourself. Yeah, that's very important. I think Women Veterans Social Justice Network, we've, we, we probably, and I say that I'm probably partial because I, I just believe that we do. We have the secret sauce to that, um, on, on a big scale. We had our, we hosted our, um, our conferences. We've had over a hundred women show up from all eras, all backgrounds, all service times. Um, I think the most we've had at our conferences is 160. And then we just hosted an event, the I'm Not a Visible event which I would have loved it if you would have been able to be here, but you, yeah, I understand. But we hosted that here in Atlanta and, um, we had over 212 women photographed for that, that event. And so bringing women together, honoring, welcoming women into a space and then honoring the fact that they served and, and then making that space completely and utterly uh, a space where they can share their narrative, whatever that experience was, good, bad, or indifferent, and then making it so that they can network and meet other women. Because I find some sometimes with some of the groups, it's like everybody's wanting to meet the, the CEO or the main person, and I'm always trying to shove other people out and say, meet this person. It's so much so that people, it was funny because one of our ambassadors, uh, people were saying, oh, I got to meet this CEO, and it was it was Connie Baptiste, and I just kind of laughed. I was like, well, you know, I don't take it personal because really all all of the ambassadors are the CEOs because they want to work. You know, I founded this organization, but really I want other women's narratives to be front and center. I want other women's success to be front and center. And so um, I don't always see that. And, again, I'm not saying anything negative because uh, I go to and do a lot of programs and go to do a lot of things with other organizations. But I don't always see that as the primary thing. Right. Um, and so, you know, my hope is that people will see us and copy. That's, that's fine. And, and, but make it better for women veteran because the goal, the mission is to, to rah rah women veteran across the country and make services and programs and policies better for them and us. Um, cause I'm a participant as well. And, and then, you know, th- that's a, 
big piece of it because a lot of times when women come into these groups, um, if they're not treated well, that might be the last time they ever participate with someone. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I really appreciate you telling the um, listeners that we need to make sure that the women veteran get with other women veteran get their medical care, but also for the civilians who are listening, they would understand that how important that is coming right. from you. Yeah, yeah. So definitely thank you for that. It has been a tremendous honor to uh, work with you in the past, to be um, a sister veteran to, you, to with you in the community, and now to um, hear you share your narrative um, on this podcast. It, it, it has been um, wonderful. I greatly appreciate uh, you bringing this perspective to the to this to our podcast because the first person narrative of women who served is so important. We want to always make sure that we honor every perspective because you know each of us go in and while our our experiences are similar, it doesn't always mean it's the same. And so that's been the challenge is you know bringing the data to the forefront to say, yeah, everyone goes in and we wear a uniform, but it's not the same for each person. It's not the same for each era. And I really feel like you synthesized that for our community in a very uh, clear, concise way. So I definitely appreciate you for that. Uh, did you, I don't know, cause, I mean, now, oh my gosh, you've got a new role. So <laughs> I don't even know how, you know, how that's going to work. I was getting ready to ask you to put stuff for people to, follow you or something, but I don't know. Maybe your LinkedIn, I don't know if that's even appropriate, but if you want to, want to do that, that's fine. Um, uh, you can share that information. If you want to wait until you see how things are going to go, then we can do that as well, but I just wanted to make it available to you if you wanted to do that. Yeah, so my LinkedIn is available. Um, I might shut down my social media. <laughs> yes. There are please. rules and policies. That <laughs> yes. Please. There are rules and policies when it comes to what I share and say. Um, so I may just to prevent any hiccups or anything from being taken out of context, I may get rid of it. But as of right now, my Instagram has been more of like my travel page anyway, so I might keep that. My LinkedIn is Sydney Covington, Sydney spelled S-I-D-N-E-Y, and then Covington, C-O-V-I-N-G-T-O-N. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. Uh, this has been a great podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing all the wonderful things that you do in the future, and thank you so much for being with us here today. No, thank you. Thank you, Bridget, for extending this offer to be able to share my story and narrative. I greatly appreciate it, and I can't wait to see what continues to come out of S. Yes. No worries. WVSJ. Women Veterans Social Justice Network. Yes. No worries. Why am I mixing up my letters? And even when you change, when you, uh, when you put the acronym together, it is. But you know why I did that? I want people to, I want people to, to mentally assent to saying women veteran and then social justice and then network. I want I want it to be a struggle because I felt like if I made it simple for everyone, then would they really think about women better? Would they really think about social justice? Would they really think about how big of a community we are? 
So, yeah, don't worry about it. It, it, Hun, some days I say it wrong, so don't worry about it. (laughs) I think it's because it was after I spelled my name, so then I was like, S? And I was like, no, it doesn't start with an S. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Normally I say it just fine. I'm always like WVSJ. But I think it's because I I spelled my name first, so now I'm like, S? And I'm like, no, that's how I spell my name. Like, why am I starting with an S? So, yes. No worries. Yes, I can't so, wait. Thank you again for allowing me, like, um, like when I met you at the first event, I I really enjoyed being at the first, um, well, it was the second conference, I believe, I actually attended, because the first one, I was still in the military, so I hadn't heard about WVSJ just yet, but I know the first one I attended I felt it was amazing to be able to be around so many women veterans because that was the first time I myself have been around that many women veterans since I've gotten out of the military, even to this day. So um, I greatly appreciate even being granted that opportunity to see that. Yeah, absolutely. You're always welcome. And, you know, looking forward, like I said, to seeing the things that you're, you know, your availability for the future, but definitely um, wanting to make sure that you're supported uh, in your role that you're going into and uh, with some women that are in right there in the New York area community to connect with because they're going to they're going to come out of the woodwork now that that you've taken that role. So we're I'm excited. I'm very excited. So everyone, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, this is Bridget McCoy of Women Veteran Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. You can find us on Facebook.com, the number four WVSJ, or on Instagram at WVSJ Network and Twitter at WVSJ Network. If you're looking for me in particular, you can find me on Facebook.com backslash Go Live Life Well. That's my author page and my consulting and coaching page. If you're looking for any of our ambassadors, you can just send us a, a private message on our Facebook page and let us know who you're looking for to talk to, and we'll make sure to connect you to the ambassadors of, of your choice. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to AARP Georgia, Protect Our Defenders, and the Jimmy Carter Presidential Museum for supporting us this year on our 10th anniversary gala. Thank you so much for everyone listening, and we'll have another show next week. It's always a good, juicy surprise. So thank you for listening, and check back with us next week so you can hear wonderful narratives of women who serve and civilians and men who support us. Thank you for listening to Women Veterans Social Justice Network. God showed me, here is where I'd be.